The text for Pastor John's sermon entitled, Where Does Child Killing Come From? is found in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Father in heaven, as we undertake now to contemplate this horrendous reality of abortion, the evil of it and the pain of it and the scars of it, the shame of it. I pray that your word would land on us as true and powerful and transforming and emboldening and healing and forgiving and cleansing and encouraging. Protect us right now from the evil one who is a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies, Jesus told us. Grant that the angel of the Lord would encamp right here with a great flaming sword, as it were, to protect us. And may the shield of faith be lifted high to quench every fiery dart. And may our hearts be humbled that we might reckon ourselves dead to our own sin and corruption and so be open and vulnerable to you and to your truth. Prevent distraction that would cause us to think about other lesser things than what you have to say now. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. On this last Sunday of Sanctity of Life Week and on the, what, 
three days after the anniversary of the Supreme Court decision called Roe versus Wade, which virtually undid all the state laws regarding and regulating abortion and made abortion on demand the law of the land and affirmed and enshrined an individualistic, unencumbered view of human liberty which has enabled and affirmed the killing of 35 million children in the last 25 years. On this Sunday, three days after that event, I want to say abortion is about God. Abortion has to do with God, the creator of the universe, the giver and sustainer of all life, the judge of the living and the dead, the redeemer, the forgiver of all those who trust in him. Abortion is about God. And therefore it's not trivial. Everything that is dealt with in the world not related to God is trivialized. Abortion is trivialized where it is dealt with as a problem or a choice, but not in relation to God. It's bringing things into relationship with ultimate reality that brings things significance. In God we live and move and have our being, the Bible says. Therefore, if you try to deal with an issue, a something, anything, and don't bring it into relationship to that in which we live and move and have our being, you make nonsense out of it. You trivialize it. You disunite it and disconnect it from the biggest things and the most important things and the awesome things in the world. It's about God. Abortion is about God and therefore it's not trivial. Motherhood is about God and therefore it's not trivial. Fatherhood is about God and therefore it's not trivial. Sexual relations are about God in the Bible and therefore they are not trivial. Babies in the womb and out of the womb are about God and therefore they're not trivial. And so I want to declare this morning, this is my main point. Abortion has to do with God, and therefore it's not a trivial thing. And we trivialize it to deal with it out of connection with God. And so I very simply have four connections with God. The first two I will pass over relatively quickly because they are more usually dealt with, and John Enzer yesterday and this morning is dealing with them beautifully. The third one is coming from our text and is the one we will linger over. The fourth one I bring in because of what's happening in Washington at these very moments. It has everybody's attention and has very much to do with abortion. That's my plan. Let's do it. Number one, abortion is about God because... 
the child in the womb is created by God and in the image of God. The reason Genesis 9-6 is important in affirming that all humanity is in the image of God is that it came after the flood and thus reinforces what was spoken at the beginning in creation. That's the text we usually go to. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them in his image. But lest anybody think that, oh, well, yes, you, he did that with the first pair, but everybody else gets created in their image or something else. Genesis 9, 6, years later, after the flood, says this, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, because... In the image of God, he made man. This is not a, a sermon on capital punishment, but I will say in passing over this text that this is the biblical warrant for capital punishment. Human beings are created in the image of God and the killing of a human being created in the image of God is so serious that it warrants being killed by governments who bear the sword not in vain, according to Romans 13. But this sermon is about abortion, and it's about taking the life of unborn children who are created by God in the image of God. And John developed yesterday in his three-hour lecture, and I doubt that he did it again this morning, but I'll just mention it, that in several texts in the Old Testament, like Genesis 25, 22, several texts in the New Testament, like Luke 1, 44, 42, 12, the word for baby or child in the womb is the same as the word out of the womb, and the way the Bible deals with babies in the womb and out of the womb are similar. The Bible makes no big distinction between when they come out and when they're in as to whether they're babies or people or humans or not. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Many things, but just this in passing. It means that you are created to image God. Images exist to image. This is not hard. This is easy. This is 101. Images exist to image. And what they are to image is what they are images of. And we are told that we are the image of God and therefore we're on planet Earth to image Him. Which means that to kill one of these is an assault on God. God created human beings to image God, to glorify God, to reflect God, to magnify God. That's why you exist today. If you need a reason for being, this is it. And everybody in this room is absolutely unique, chromosomally unique 
And all you have to do is look in the mirror and you know you're unique. And every baby in the womb is unique. And every one of those created human beings is intended to refract the glory of God on planet Earth for His great name. And to attack one of those is treason against the King of the universe and an assault on the glory of God. That's why it's important. Abortion is about God. Because every one of us is created in the image of God. Number two, abortion is about God because God is the only person who can forgive the sin of child killing. Silence. Because last week... When I just alluded to the fact that we were going to be dealing with this issue, I got a note, angry note, to the effect that uh, to speak of the sin and the horror of child killing is so wounding, so painful for some that this is not a loving church to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to name it. It is child killing. And it wounds. And it's painful. And it's horrible. Now, point two. God is the only being who can forgive it. And he does. Not through any lifelong labor in the pro-life movement, making atonement through works of love and charity. No. But through an absolutely free, undeserved, triumphant act of grace and mercy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the worst of sinners like me. Let me read the key verses. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is intended to be refracted in the image of God in every baby conceived in the womb. When they are killed, it is an attack on God and an exchanging of the glory of God for the glory of my preference or my boyfriend's preference or my parents' preference, which is treason. Now, that act can only be forgiven by God. No parent can forgive it. No boyfriend can forgive it. No counselor can forgive it. But God can forgive it. So let me read the next verse and listen to the Word of God. I've said before, and I'll say it again now, I believe Romans 3, 21 to 26 is the most important paragraph in the Bible. And these verses are the center of the most important paragraph in the Bible. Verse 24 of Romans 3, referring back to those who had sinned so grievously, 
they are justified as a gift by His grace. No, I'm reading too fast. I'm reading too fast. Let me go, let me go at this again. Get every word. Every word in this paragraph matters. They are justified, made right, given a right standing, reconciled, brought into relationship, everything cleared away. It's now okay. Acquitted, forgiven. That's injustified. Justified as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't bargain for it. You can't bribe for it. You can't argue your way into it. You can't live for it. You can only welcome it, love it, cherish it, sing about it, fall on it. By His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This means that because of our sin, and not just abortion, believe me, but every Days inconsistency and falling short of the love of God. Every sin merits the wrath of God coming down upon it because it's the sin against an infinitely glorious being. And God, not being a God of mere wrath, interposes His precious and beloved Son that this wrath might fall upon Him and crush Him to death, that it might be averted from us who stand and wonder for simply believing can now have the smile of Almighty, Sovereign Creator, God of Justice. So if you heard point one, that it's treason to kill God's images, and you did it, or you encouraged having it done, or you hear this point too, please. God loves to forgive sinners. He loves it. He loves to forgive sinners. Receive it. Abortion is about God because only God can forgive sin. And I'm thankful. Third point. Abortion is about God because the root cause of abortion is a failure to be satisfied in God as our supreme love. Abortion is about God because the root cause of abortion is a failure to be satisfied in God as our supreme love. Now let's go to James 4 to get this. I want you to see where I'm getting this. And I want you to see the shocking language that James uses to make this point. If we were to read James 4 just up to the middle of verse 2, we would have an analysis of the origin of abortion which would be true and trivial. Let's read it. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures which wage war in your members? You lust or you desire and do not have... Okay, here's the root. You lust or you desire and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight 
and quarrel. So the issue of the origin of murder here is unsatisfied desires. You desire and do not have, so you commit murder. Now we could just stop right there and develop a long analysis of where does abortion come from. What desires, for example, are threatened by the arrival of this little baby? Parental happiness. A boyfriend's staying pleased. Education being completed on time. Financial solvency. Career. Freedom from morning sickness. Diapers, runny noses, terrible twos, sleepless nights. Homework help, sports, band, drama transportation, teenage moodiness, college expenses, and other kinds of pain that come with grown children. All of it you did not bargain for. Desires for freedom, and this little critter is in the way. And James says, therefore, you commit murder. Now, I said if you stop here, that would be a trivial analysis. Why? There's no God in it. He's not there yet. Well, let's not stop then. Listen to this language. It's picking up in the middle of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. So asking is prayer, and so God's now coming a little bit into the picture. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, let's stop here and get this picture. James has a picture in his mind. He's going to explode with an interpretation of it in just a minute, but let me get the picture clear for you. You have a God... And you come to this God, and you find him less than satisfying. You turn to something else, some person, some thing, and you find it more satisfying. But you can't get it. It's too expensive, or you don't have the wherewithal to get it. So you come back to your God in prayer... And you ask him for the wherewithal to get it. So that leaving him behind, you may now be satisfied with what he enables you to get in the world. And in verse 4, James cries out, Adulteresses! That's a very clear and literal translation in the NASB, and it's the right one. Adulteresses, where'd that come from? Where did that come from? Right of the blue calls the nominal Christians there adulteresses. Men and women, you're all adulteresses. Where did that come from? It came from the picture in his mind. We have a husband in heaven. Our God loves us. 
He created us to image Him forth and to enjoy Him and to have a relationship with Him that He'll risk calling it a kind of sexual relationship. It is so powerful in its ability to satisfy if we would see Him for who He is and love Him for who He is and we don't find Him a satisfactory husband. And so, we turn to the world and oh, Television, money, career, power, sex, food, Super Bowl. These things satisfy. These things feel good to me. So, since I don't get enough of them, or my health is failing and that will jeopardize my enjoyment of all of them because if you die, you can't enjoy them. I will go back to my husband and I will say in a form of piety, Oh God, please give me health that I may enjoy life which you have given me. Amen. And then we turn away and James comes in there and says, Adulteresses! You see, God did not create you to leave him and by his power embrace another mistress and then give him thanks. Thank you. Why not? Look at verse 4, the rest of it. Do you not know that friendship with the world now just fill this up with the image here of adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? I mean, every husband knows this. Every wife knows this. You may treat me as nice as you can possibly treat me. But if you've got another lover, there's hostility in this house. Name it what you will. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, so what? Right? So what? Verse 5 is the so what. Don't you think or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose when it says... He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Now, I don't think the word spirit there should be capitalized. I know the NASB does. The RSV doesn't. And I opt with the RSV for this simple reason. The most natural sense that this verse seems to have to me is this. Our husband created us. He breathed life into us that we might love Him and enjoy Him and be satisfied in Him as our lover forever and ever. So the, the verse means He jealously desires for our life and our spirit and our heart which He made to dwell in us to be His. God's jealous for you. He doesn't want a divided heart. 
He wants a whole heart for Him. Abortion, therefore, is not rooted merely in the fact that you have frustrated desires because the baby got in the way and you dispensed with the baby. Abortion is rooted in the fact that God has not been our treasure, our husband, our lover, and the infinitely satisfying beauty, friend, spouse of our lives. That's the origin of abortion, and that's why it has to do with God. If we found in God what He really is, and if we weren't so willfully blind and so much in love with His gifts instead of His self, we wouldn't abort our children. The root cause of abortion is the failure to be satisfied in God as our supreme love. A lot of political work has to happen, right? Gonna an amendment or have the Supreme Court reverse things or have laws passed? Yes. And I hope, frankly, that some of you will become lawmakers. But the call on Bethlehem Baptist Church, it's on the wall up there, it's written across our hearts, written in my mind with blazing fire, is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in abortion, for the joy of repentant abortion providers at Midwest, at 33 Fifth Street South, and at Meadowbrook at the corner of 8th Street and 9th Avenue, where 42% of the abortions in the state are done, about 4,000 a year, blocks from this place. Last point, very briefly. Abortion is about God because the political and cultural events that will make abortion unthinkable and illegal are in the hands of God. Beware of thinking that the impeachment of Bill Clinton in the next weeks may be the best thing for the country or life. Beware. Beware of praying your little puny construction of the future into reality. Because we're not wise enough to run this world, let alone this country. And there are designs in heaven that are far above our designs. Let me illustrate. It is not unlikely that our president will not survive this term. It is likely, I would say, from what I see, that he will not weather this. If that comes true, and he is impeached and convicted and resigns, Al Gore becomes president. Probably for ten years. Because it's easier to elect an incumbent 
than a non-incumbent. Where did Al Gore spend Thursday afternoon? Did he spend the anniversary of Roe v. Wade in a kind of politically protective atmosphere of neutrality? Did he spend it with pro-lifers on the mall? No. He spent it with an aggressively pro-abortion group. Which means that one scenario is that if Clinton is impeached, we get ten more years of pro-abortion presidency. That's one scenario. All I'm doing is saying, we don't know and beware of praying your little reconstruction of how it ought to come to pass into reality. Rather, let us pray broad, biblically-based prayers. Oh God, let justice rain down in Washington. Let truth hold sway in Washington. Let there be no deceit and no hypocrisy and no duplicity in our leaders in Washington. Give courage, O oh God, to those who stand for the right and let there be wisdom in our leaders, O oh Lord God. Pray those prayers and let God run the world. It says in Daniel 4.31, Nebuchadnezzar Proud, arrogant, above all accountability. A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. That includes Supreme Court justices and presidents. We may trust God. God is doing things today you never dreamed. There are Powers at work culturally, spiritually, in our land today, nobody understands but God. And it is awesome to behold. Pray those things forward. Get behind the sovereign work of God with your prayers and join Him that these great movements might result in massive recognition in our land of the absolute folly that we have been in as a culture. God can open eyes through things like this. He can turn nations upside down through things like this. He can release spiritual power in churches through things like this. Don't presume to tell God how to run the world. Just get behind your never-failing sovereign God and say, Hallowed be thy name in this land. Thy kingdom come in this land. Thy will be done in Washington the way the angels do it in heaven, O oh God Almighty. Do it. Do it. And just get on your face and bless it into reality. Sum it up. Abortion has to do with God because you're created in the image of God. Abortion has to do with God because only God can forgive you for 
child killing. Abortion has to do with God because, what was my third point? The root of abortion is in being satisfied or not being satisfied with God. And the last point is that the political and cultural events that will make abortion unthinkable and illegal are in the hands of God. Let's pray. Father, I plead with you that you would move in power on our land. I don't know how you're going to do it. And you have so many strategies that boggle our minds. Just witness the life of Joseph. 17 years of seemingly going in the wrong direction. And pow! It was all for good. So here we are whining and whining about our land. And who knows what you're up to. Because there are faithful saints pleading night and day for the vindication of God's elect. Come, O God, forsake us not as a church and not as a wicked land but rather bring awakening, reformation, revival for the glory of your Son. In whose name I pray. Amen. As you go, I'll be at the front here. Others will stand here. If you'd like to pray about anything, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you. You're dismissed.